This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast. My name is Toby Mathis. Today I have Jose Morales on and we're going to be in for a treat. Hey, Jose, how you doing? Good, Toby. What about you? I am fantastic. I'm kind of excited today because uh, I know you're not like super young anymore, but I know that by the time you were a millionaire, you were. And I love talking to people that uh, what it took you about seven years to go from kind of the zero to millionaire status. Is that fair? Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I would say so. Yeah. So, so here, let me, let me, let me introduce you first off because you're a very successful real estate agent, but you have generated a ton of wealth in real estate in a pretty short period of time. And so uh, I wanted you to kind of get your story of where you started and how you got into real estate. And then we'll dive into some of the specifics. So maybe just give somebody a, an idea of you know who you are, how you got into real estate, where it all started, and then uh, where you're kind of sitting now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm 35 years old. Uh, I am a father of two, husband now. Um, I got started in high school. I wasn't like your typical, like, like I wasn't like a 4.0 student by any chance means I was a 2.0 student. I played sports, played baseball, basketball, and I didn't really start to get serious about a lot of things until I got after college. So from 16 to 23, I didn't really do much with my life. I was going to university, but uh, was partying, maybe not having the right friends. And then at 23, I got started in in real estate. And that's when my life started to, to change. I started uh, changing the people that I was hanging out with. And instead of thinking about partying and kegs, I started thinking about like, okay, like how can I build wealth and how could I build residual um, I started selling real estate at 23. My broker introduced me to a book uh, or a game by Robert Kiyosaki. It was called The Rat Race. And then I became obsessed with getting out of the rat race. So I started selling a bunch of real estate to buy real estate that produced positive cash flow. And then all that real estate that produced positive cash flow just kept almost like snowballing on top of each other until the properties got bigger and bigger. And now obviously we're in a position where we'll be able to retire if we want in the next couple of uh, years. That's pretty nice. So, so you went from, let me unpack this for a second. So from 16 to 23, you're doing kind of the typical, Hey, let's go to college. Let's have a good time. Mm -hmm. Party around a little bit. You had a good time. You weren't, you weren't the top student. You weren't, did you come from a wealthy background? Was it humble? Was it normal? Did you have a whole bunch of like head start? Somebody give you a million dollars and say, here you go, you go, go invest. Or, I didn't or have it? like a head start, but my parents were actually really good examples. So my mom came through this program called, it was an agricultural program where they gave residency to people that work, the Bracero program, where they basically gave residency to people that work in agriculture. Her father got her involved in that. So she came to the country legally, but my father came to this country as an immigrant and uh, they bought a business in 1990 and I was born in 87. So I kind of saw them build up a business and then Mm -hmm. they kept buying real estate. So I worked in their business from the time I was nine to I was about 23, even while I was going to school. 
but I learned so many good principles. They never gave me anything like meaning like they didn't give me any handouts. They didn't give me the down payments to any of the properties. Uh, they didn't uh, give me basically anything, but what they taught me was really good. Like my, my father, like I would go out to lunch with him during our lunch breaks at work and he would start telling me, Hey, look, you got to take care of your credit. And his rule was so simple, Toby. His rule was if I can make a thousand dollars a month in positive cash flow off the property, I'm good. But what ended up happening was that over 30 years, the rents went up and the principals got paid down tremendously so that a thousand dollars a month turned to five, six, seven thousand dollars a month per property. And uh, I got to witness a lot of that. So uh, I had really, really good examples as parents. But as it relates to handouts or anything like that, I had to learn real estate. And that's how I, I, I basically became a top, one of the top agents in my marketplace. And everything or a good portion of the income I would make, I would reinvest it back into, into cash flow producing real estate. So this is really cool. So your parents kind of did the American dream. They came in here, didn't have a lot, built it up over time. Mm-hmm. Instead of just giving you a bunch of money and hoping that maybe you'd get into it, they they let you come to investing on your own terms. What, what, was it your parents that told you to invest or did they say, hey, just work really hard or get an education? What was kind of their message to you? So whenever I would sit down with my dad and my dad was the one that kind of like would tell me these things. So he would tell me, invest your money. He would tell me, uh, take care of your credit. He would tell me without your credit, you can't really borrow any money. So sometimes you can make money by borrowing money, by leveraging certain things. So he really taught me like the foundation. I didn't have a name for it at that time and I didn't even realize it. It was almost until I played that cash flow game with our broker that I was like, oh, this is the name of the game. So then I got obsessed with it. So before I would buy a liability, I would always buy an asset first. Before I moved out of my parents' house, I owned four properties already before I moved out of my parents' house. All right, so, we got to like, stop right there. We got to stop right there real quick. So you were, you were financially successful. You were making good money, yeah. but you lived with your parents? I did, yeah, I, I did. And the reason is I, I got obsessed with the cash flow game and I got obsessed with growing the the business. So I had to make a sacrifice. So I actually didn't move out of my parents probably till I was 26, 27. So from 23 to 26 to 27, I own four properties. They all produce great positive cash flow. And uh, I lived with them until an opportunity came up where I could actually justify moving out on my own. And even then I was a little bit scared of moving out on my own at that time, even though I was already in a, in a, in a great financial position at that time. Let's talk about how great a financial position it actually was. So like, if you don't mind, when you were 23, 24, 25, 26, like what were you making a year? Was it, you know, 50,000, 35,000, 100,000? What were you making a year? So I'd probably say around the time that I moved out, I was probably, so my first year in real estate, I made like 20,000, then 40,000, then 100,000, then 200,000. And then from 2000, 200,000, I think it jumped up to about 500,000 in gross commissions. Mm-hmm. So I was probably making somewhere between two to 500,000 a year and had about $6,000 of positive cash flow coming in every single month. And you were um, living with your parents while you were doing this. <laughs> I was, yeah. I love that. See, this is the thing is we, we the, my, 
the ego becomes your amigo thing, right? Like it's like, hey, I'm I'm making good money, and therefore I deserve to have a the Mercedes and a really nice house, and and it's at the expense of perhaps building up an asset base. So so that I, I actually really like hearing that. And what what would you say to somebody who's in a similar scenario, like they? But I really want to get out of my parents' hair, or they're pushing me to get out. What would you say to somebody? who's saying, but I know I could invest so much more just for a few years. What would you say to that person? I would just say, have a plan, you know, like meaning like have like a goal. Like I remember my first year in real estate, I was part-time and I said, if I could save up $5,000 and have $5,000, I'll go full-time. And I got there. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved out of my parents' house, I was like, well, if I can have five or $6,000, then I'm ready. I'm in a position to be able to move out as well too. So I would say have a goal. And I would say that, and this is something my father always told me. He told me that it was easier to build wealth while you were younger because you had time, energy, and you didn't have a family. So from the time I was 23 to 27, I didn't have any kids. I didn't have a wife. I could work until I wanted to. I could invest in how I wanted to. And I didn't have like kids or anything like that. So I would say that just have a goal in mind and that sometimes by sacrificing a little bit up front, it really puts you in a very good financial position where you can actually do a lot more and live a lot better of a of a quality of lifestyle as well too by making a sacrifice. Like I have cousins that lived with their parents after they were married because they didn't have as strong of a financial situation where I did, where I've never done that. The moment we were married, I had my own place before we got married, you know? So, and I've kind of seen some of the challenges that they have gone through living in with the in-laws and a, or with their wife at the house. And I was just like, man, I'm so glad that I made those sacrifices then. That way I, I didn't have to sacrifice when I actually did have a family, you know? Never had to sacrifice that because I made... I sacrificed up front so that I wouldn't have to sacrifice now. So when you were 23 and you start making some money as a, as a realtor, did you buy a really nice car? Did you spend anything or how much of that would you invest? So I would invest the majority of it. So my first real estate car, I actually bought for $5,000. I bought it cash. It was like a 1995 BMW, a 323i. It looked nice. And that's all I wanted. I wanted something with the appearance that it looked nice, but it was like 10 years old or maybe like 15 years old at that time. Then I remember one of my friends was upgrading cars and he had the same model car as I did, but it was like four years newer. So then I upgraded from five to an $8,000 car. And then I kept that car probably until I moved a little bit, maybe before I moved out on my own. And I ended up buying a used 2000, it was, yeah, it was in 2013. So I ended up buying it in 2015, which was the year I moved out on my own. And uh, I bought a used 2013 E-Class E350. And that uh, car was about 33,000, which I did get a loan on that, but it was a payment like $687. And I had all this residual income already. But uh, it, that, that's a funny story. I had a friend that uh, I had my BMW and I bought a GPS for my BMW because it didn't have GPS. Uh -huh. And he kind of made fun of me. He kind of said, look, Jose, like you make how much money right now do you make? And I go, I make X amount of money. And then he goes, and you're bragging to me about buying a $300 GPS to put in your BMW. And he kind of challenged me to upgrade cars, but it was a good decision because in my business, 
that can actually help your business a little bit. It helps your image. And uh, it actually made me feel a lot better at that time when I did buy it. But it was just a funny story how he kind of challenged me. And it was the same friend that kind of challenged me. He's like, dude, you're 27 and you live at home with your parents. He's like, what's up, man? You have all this money. And it was also a good decision because at that time, that was a very good opportunity for me to move out. And it kind of challenged me to make more money um, at the same time as well, too. Just be glad you didn't have that same friend challenging you at 23. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Now, when you moved out, would you consider yourself already you're a millionaire at that point? Do you have a million dollars? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so this is for everybody listening. Cause I'm like, I'm going to send this to anybody that is in their twenties. And I'm going to say, so from, from 23 to 27, you accumulated enough asset base to where you, you were already a millionaire. You, you probably had enough cash flow coming into where you could have lived. Like if you'd had to, you probably could have lived the rest of your life off of it. Is that a fair yeah. statement? Obviously very conservatively, you know, and I would probably have to relocate areas just because obviously California is a little bit more expensive than most of the areas, but uh, I could have and would have, but then the numbers just kept getting bigger, you know, like uh, uh, the goals kept getting bigger and bigger now. So uh, here's the thing, Jose, is according to the Census Bureau, the average American spends $5,100 a month. Could you have replaced $5,100 a month off of what you had when you were 27? Yeah. I could have, yeah. So I always look at stuff like that. You're like, yes, there's people that live for less. There's people that live for much, much more. But if you were in a pinch, would you be suffering your life? Yeah. And it's a lot better than Social Security where, you know, you might get 2000 a month. I think 1900 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you're in your 20s and you knock this thing out of the park because you were willing to to eat the ego, stay at home, live with parents, build it up. So when you're 27, what's the next step? You Did, did you get married or did you just move out and, and do your own thing? What was it that prompted you to say, you know what, I'm going to go out on my own now. I have all this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having success professionally, but you decided to go out and venture on your own. What, what so prompted that, year, that? I made a goal to actually purchase a primary residence because I wanted to move off on my own. I wasn't actually married at that time, but what I ended up doing is I ended up setting a goal. And then it's funny how like, I, I don't know if you call it the law of attraction, but I had a dream board and I put on my dream board that I was going to buy a property that I bought for 400 or 500,000 and it was worth 650 or 700. I had on my dream board that it was going to be a single family residence, but what ended up percolating to the surface was actually very different. I was involved. Uh, I got nominated to be on a magazine for like 30 under 30 and I met a builder there and the builder had this new development where it was live work, meaning like commercial building on the bottom, residential on the top. And they were sold out at that time. But I told them, Hey, look, if you ever come across a different, uh, like if anything falls out of escrow, call me. Then I get a call maybe like two weeks later and he says, hey, look, this property is going to fall out of escrow, but I'm selling it today. If you want it, you got to come over today. I was not expecting to buy a house that day. He came to me. He said, look, we're willing to pay you 6% commission. We're willing to pay you 3% closing cost. I did the numbers. The mortgage was $3,000 at that time, $3,300 at that time. And mm -hmm. I could rent out the top if I didn't move in for like $3,000 and I could rent out the bottom for like $1,000. So I was a little bit nervous just because I was like, oh my God, it's my primary residence. But I asked myself, mm -hmm. I said, what's worst case scenario? The worst case scenario, I move out and I rent 
these two pieces of property out and it's still a cash flow producing asset and I'm getting paid. I only put 10% down. So if I was getting 6% on commissions and 3% on closing costs. I literally came in with very little money down and uh, it was just, it was a blessing because now that building's worth a lot more. And that building allowed me to grow my real estate company because now I had my own building. And it also made me super efficient because I used mm-hmm. to live right above my building and I would literally walk downstairs to go to work, which means that yeah. while most people were commuting, I was walking. Not only that, but it helped my driving record tremendously. I haven't gotten a ticket in probably like five or six years because I live so close to my offices now, which is crazy. So it helped. So you, you kind of got the, the 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 trifecta there, but yeah, I gotta just go and back. With to kids this. now, Toby. I still live in the same. So I ended up upgrading from the the place I live in to an actual home, and I live like maybe like two three blocks away from my home. So now it helps me because my office is here, and I literally get to go home and eat every day. I get to see my kids whenever I want. If I have a hour break, I can literally take off and be back to the office within a couple of minutes. So like two minutes to be exact. So it's like really, really um, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It's a really good. But, but what's really amazing is you had a dream board. Like, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds like a, what you put, you put things that you wanted to, to come to you. Is it kind of the, that it's, idea? It's a vision board basically, which is kind of like the same thing, which I did mm-hmm. that for a long time. And almost everything that I've ever put on my dream board has come to fruition not in mm-hmm. the exact same manner, sometimes a little bit different, but very close. I'll give you an example. Like the first big cash flowing property that I bought, I put on my vision board that I was going to buy a property in a certain neighborhood with an addition because I wanted a house with an addition because I could receive multiple incomes from it. And I literally mm-hmm. get a call maybe like three months later from a, a person basically saying, Hey, I need to short sell my property. Can you help me? And, um, yeah, it was crazy because another agent in my office ended up taking the listing, but we ended up buying that property and, uh, it was exactly what was on my dream board. Everything from cars to watches to real estate. Like I, in 2017, I put on my dream board that I was going to buy apartment complexes, like large apartment complexes. I didn't end up buying them until 2019 but it was very similarly at that time, I didn't know how it was going to come to fruition, but it ended up coming to fruition. So I'm a big believer in setting goals and I'm a big believer in, in having dream boards and vision boards. I want to drill on this just for a second. Uh, I know it's not tax, asset protection, whatever, but I think it's so important that people realize that, you know, they've done studies on this and it's this thing called locus of control is the biggest difference between those that are wealthy and those that aren't. And the locus of control is the belief that you can control your outcome. And so you deliberately, like who taught you to do that? Was it a, was it something that you learned in school, friends, parents, who, who taught you to do that? So I, I got involved in real estate coaching probably in 2012, 2013. And at that real estate coaching, they uh, you would set goals and then you would meet different individuals. And then being in real estate, like a lot of the companies help you set goals. So I think the biggest thing that I got from real estate was setting goals. Like I remember mm-hmm. my first year, my broker asked me, how much money do you, do you want to make? And I said, maybe like 50,000. She's like, why don't you bump it up to 100,000? And that to me was like a number that was astronomical Mm -hmm. to me at that time. 
but they taught me how to set goals. And then I just kept getting involved with different mastermind groups. And uh, they ended up, uh, uh, we ended up doing vision boards as, as part of our mastermind groups. We ended up doing goal settings, sharing our goals. And then we would help each other like stay motivated and help each other achieve those goals as well too. So I would say that coaching and then getting involved with like different mastermind groups, a lot of the times with people that were doing a lot better than I was. That is absolutely extraordinary. And again, so I'm going to call this, you know, how to become a millionaire under 30 because holy kashmoli, so many people think that it's never going to happen for them. In fact, there's almost this bleakness that exists in some of the younger generations where they, oh, it's not, you know, it's, it's too late. There's not these opportunities, you know, oh, it's too expensive. Oh, so, you know, everything, there's a lot of kind of that stinking thing and that, that keeps them back. And then there's somebody like you who says, you know what, I'm going to put this into place. I'm going to do it. You did it since this great recession that we had, you know, where everybody says ever since then things have changed. What would you say to somebody now? Like, like, do you do coaching now with, with younger people or are you part of a group where you have folks that come in and do you hear that from them? Like meaning, do I coach them personally or do I receiving coaching still? Both. So I work for a company called eXp Realty um, and mm-hmm. eXp Realty allows you to partner up with different agents across the country. So mm-hmm. as a result of me being able to partner up with different agents, I actually mentor agents for free on a group call that we do because we're incentivized mm-hmm. to do so. As it relates to me receiving coaching, yes, I have, uh, uh, I'm involved in several mastermind groups. Like uh, I'm involved in one called Collective Genius, which is a $25,000 a year mastermind, which is two to 300 of the top investors around the country. And they, we get together once a quarter and we talk about like what we can do to grow our business, grow our wealth, grow just our life in general. I'm also involved in another one that I paid last year that was a $50,000 a year mastermind. Um, Mm -hmm. And in that one, they taught me some different things like affiliate marketing and that sort of thing. So I got to the point where I was like one of the bigger fishes in my area. So I wanted to get involved in thinking tanks that of people that would challenge me again. So I started getting involved with like larger mastermind groups. But I would say that mastermind groups, coaching, it's all great. I would just say vet out who you're uh, getting Mm -hmm. mentored by because a lot of the times things sound really nice and they're not really achieving or they're not really doing what they say that they are. So I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I've done really well that Whenever I've had mentors in my life, I've made sure that they're the real deal in the vetting process by sometimes even asking uncomfortable questions or even doing my own research to verify if they really are who they say that they are. And if they are, then Mm -hmm. obviously I listen to what they say. And if they're not, then obviously we don't get involved. You and I have had that conversation before. I get to do the tax returns on some of these folks and that they're out there saying how they're making all this money. And then I'm kind of looking at it going, Mm -hmm. That's not true. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I can see your tax return. No. It, it, like I'll give you an example. There was this agent on YouTube who would talk about like make taking all these listings and how to grow your real estate business. And then you looked them up and he probably never sold more than maybe like 60 ho- homes in his entire career, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like you're teaching other people how to sell homes in high volume, but you've never actually done it, you know? So it, uh, there was a little bit of a disconnect. Like one of my, my, big time mentors that helped me out a lot. He was selling about 200 homes personally a year, Toby. 
like a mm-hmm. year personally. And when I got involved with them, he started teaching me how his, how he operated, how we thought. And then that got me to like about 80 homes in California a year personally, and then 50 with a team. So last year we did like 130 homes in one year, me and two other people, but I wouldn't have been able to do it without having the right mentorship. When did you first get the coaching and mentorship? Was it, was it in when you were you 23? Was it before? Was it after? I would say probably the, probably like a year or two into my real estate career. So maybe 24, 25, that's when I got involved. And at that time it was a big decision because I was making not a lot of money. Let's say I was making 40,000 a year and coaching was a thousand dollars a month, which was $12,000. It was like literally like 33% of my income. But Mm -hmm. immediately after getting into coaching, like my income started to grow tremendously, you know, where it was almost like doubling and it was extreme. It was a great investment. So anytime you can invest in either yourself, meaning into your personal development, your business, or into things that produce positive cash flow, I would say Mm -hmm. you're headed in the right direction. But you didn't put in there, get a really, really nice car and a really big house and, and frivolous spending and lots of vacations. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so. and, and you can do all of like we still take nice trips and everything like that but at the very beginning i was a lot more conservative because i just felt that i could do a lot more with the money investing it i mean we take nice trips now where we live a good life but we live substantially below our means like way below our means yep no, no, I, I, and I was just jesting. It's like, that's what's so funny is so many people think that success is spending when in success is in this creation. And if you focused just as much of your time, like what you did, I just think it's so amazing that you did it in such a short period of time. Cause it sounds to me like you, like you turned your life a 360 in about four years. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's pretty extraordinary. And there's a lot of people out there that don't think it's possible. And they sit around, they're told, by all their friends, they're commiserating. And and I'm always like, yeah, it's absolutely possible. I see it all the time. I mean, I get to meet really successful folks. And a lot of them have that same stories. They live below their means. I believe you live on 70% of your take home or less. And they invest the difference. And they spend time learning from people that have been successful. And it is a vetting process. It's trying to figure out. There's a lot of folks out there that are you know, we call them gurus. I don't use these little things. They're pretend gurus because they haven't actually done it. And you want to, you want to do what other successful people do. And again, I'm, I'm in a really unique position because I do their tax returns. And so somebody could say whatever they want. I tend to look at their numbers and the numbers don't lie. Uh, but in, in the world, you're always getting hit with advertising and things like that. And I, I just think it's extraordinary that in such a short period of time, and you, you did the sacrifices early so you could reap the rewards. Later, and they always say you live like other people won't, so that you can live like other people can't. Putting it back to you, there's a there's a shoe behind you, and I notice a boxing shoe, and I happen to love the pugilistic arts. Uh, I've been doing it a long time. What's the story? Because it looks like there's a red boxing is, shoe. Is that a red boxing shoe? Yeah. So you you can't see the entire wall behind me, but uh, when I was developing my podcast studio, I actually uh, I actually was looking for a theme. And the theme that I wanted to do was the goats, meaning like the greatest of all time. So that boxing shoe above it, there's actually some boxing shorts. And the boxing shorts belong to a gentleman by the name of Julio Cesar Chavez, 
which is like one of the like I would probably argue like the best Mexican fighter of all time, if not like definitely top three Mexican fighters of all time. And the wall consists of different things. Different people had different characteristic traits that I admired. For example, I had Tom Brady on the wall, which Tom Brady, I looked at as an underdog, meaning like he was somebody that maybe you wouldn't have bet on him. Like Mm -hmm. once he got drafted, that he was going to be one of the greatest players of all time. So I love that. Michael Jordan, like had like an incredible mindset, incredible work ethic, wasn't the most talented. So maybe like the theme is like, not maybe like not the most talented, but like almost like underdogs that like did great things. Uh, Julio Cesar being one of them, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. I have uh, Wayne Gretzky. I have a bat by a gentleman by the name of Cal Ripken Jr. as well too, which to me, he represented consistency. I think he played like 3,000 plus consecutive baseball games without missing one. So they, they all had like a little trait that inspired me. And that boxing shoe was definitely uh, one of them for sure. You named one of the greats. That's absolutely mm-hmm. true. And they all had grit. They just yeah. put their heads down and get it done. And they didn't. Yeah. Uh, gosh, some of it's up, so much of it is done up here. Agreed. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah. They say train hard, fight easy. And uh, I think those guys embodied that. All of them. Wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, I had no idea that you had a big old cool wall. What would you say? Because I, I know you're, you know, I'm not super old, but I'm a little bit older than you. What would you say to somebody who's coming up, especially if if somebody's in that, hey, I'm just getting started out. I can't see it. Like you may say, visualize the 100,000. And to them, that's still a really large figure. Or they've been beaten down and they've had a couple of, you know, something bad happen. And they're maybe maybe they made some bad investments or bad decisions and they suffered the consequences. And they just feel like, they can't see it. What would you say to those people? I would say that my life started to change when I started getting around different people. So from the ages of 16, 23, I hung around with knuckleheads. What did I become? A knucklehead. From 23 to now, I've hung around with people that are doing positive things with their life and that are either doing better than I am or on the same trajectory as I am. So I would say that who who you're investing time, who you're giving access to your thinking is probably the most important thing. One of my mentors said that the best thing you can get from a mentor is access to the way that they think because the way that they think allows them to do what they do. So like example, you and I both have two eyes, two ears, one mouth, one nose, right? So what's the difference between us? Like let's say that somebody was really unsuccessful like, And somebody was really successful. The only difference between that unsuccessful person, that successful person is the way that they think. So if that's the only difference, who are you giving access to your thinking? So if you get around people that are doing better than you and you vetted them out by them pouring into you and helping you change the way that they think, you could actually change your exterior uh, results. So I think that's one of the things that I've done really well that I've gone maybe a little bit by luck. Uh, some of it by uh, on purpose, but I've gone around the right people and that has helped me to to grow and do so in a way where I haven't uh, really, yeah, where, where it's been very predictable and sustainable, basically. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. I really appreciate you coming on today. If somebody ever wants to reach out and pick your brain, I know you're not selling a product. I know there's nothing. Mm-hmm. 
how does somebody get a hold of you? How does somebody find out who you are and learn a little bit more? Yeah, I'd probably say like uh, our social media channels. So I'd probably say Instagram would probably be the best one. So if you go on Jose Luis Morales, Luis is with a Z uh, on Instagram. If you go on TikTok, you can follow us on TikTok. And then we also have a YouTube channel as well too, where we provide like in-depth real estate information, how to in-depth real estate information. So if you wanted to learn a, bit, a little bit about real estate, uh, we've done videos on land assemblies. We've done videos on 1031 exchanges. We've done videos on Delaware Statutory Trust. Just very in-depth real estate topics where there's, uh, it, they're, they're very in-depth. Perfect. Well, I know I'm going to share this out with a lot of folks that I know when it comes out and say, hey, make sure your kids are watching this because I think your story is actually one that is particularly relevant in this day and age. And you see people fighting and, and, and they're not willing to take that sacrifice that you did. I just think it's so extraordinary. And uh, and it gives people the, the, the hope because you did it so fast. You did it the right way. You really kicked some hiney in a very short period of time. You didn't win a lottery or anything. You did it with intelligence and with the right principles. And you just happened to do something in a very short period of time that people don't think is possible. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I'll share this last thing with you, Toby. I heard a mm -hmm. saying recently that stood out and it said, everybody is self-made, but only the successful ones will admit it. Meaning <laughs> that like, meaning that like a lot of people like are a self-made millionaire, but like a lot of the only really typically the only people that take credit for it is the ones that end up succeeding. But even if you're not successful, you got to where you are because of mind or certain thought processes, you know? But I, I thought it was like really uh, like interesting and true as well, too. We're all self-made, but only the wealthy admit it. Yeah. That's perfect. I, yeah. I'm going to steal yeah. that. Just so you know. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I, right. I didn't create it, by the way. So yeah, I heard it from hey, somebody else. There's a lot of ideas out there. The best ones uh, we didn't come up with. You're always yeah. borrowing from our mentors. And, and the good stuff, you know, the thing about it is cream always rises to the top. And so you just got to give yourself that opportunity and realize that, that you're in control of it. And then you let yourself go. You did it. And I think that anybody can. So I think it's fantastic. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 